chapter 17. We're just going to look at verses 1 to 8. And as we look at this text, it'll be under the title, How the Kingdom of God Advances. How the Kingdom of God Advances. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Our title once again is How the Kingdom of God Advances. How the Kingdom of God Advances. What would you say if you heard of a farmer? And this farmer said, I believe that God will bless my crop. God will bless my harvest. And perhaps he even prayed about such a thing. But he didn't work in the field. He didn't plant the seeds. He didn't water the crops. Would you think that that sounded like trusting in God? You'd probably say, no, something's missing here. Something's missing here. I think we would all think that. Because we all know, trusting in God, we continue to labor for the harvest. Now I think every church in this world, no matter how good or bad the church is, we all want to grow. We all want numbers to grow. We all want to be popular. We all would like to see more people, wouldn't we, at church? We'd all like that. Even churches with poorer theology. Now, in the Western world, no matter where you go, whether that's here in Northern Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales, United States, Canada, anywhere you go, the numbers are smaller. And this has been happening for quite a long time. Now, we praise God. It's not all bad news. For every one saved in the Western world, there's about 16 saved in places like Asia, South America. But we do face that challenge that fewer and fewer people seem to be going to sounder churches, at least today. 
But if you look at church history, you're going to realize this is not the first time that something like this has happened. There's an old expression. It's always darkest before the dawn. And perhaps the Lord will send revival tomorrow. We don't know. Perhaps the Lord will send revival soon. But before that moment, what will we do? Will we labor in the field? Will we labor for the harvest? Yes, it doesn't depend on us. Yes, it's not in our hands. It's, it's of God. But do we labor in the field? Or will we in despair? And this despair can be very understandable. The kingdom of God can seem like it's retreating. And we feel like giving up. But we must resist the temptation. We must keep going. In the book of Acts, you read through the book of Acts. It's not just us today in 2023 that experience disappointments and difficulties. Yes, the kingdom advanced rapidly in the book of Acts. But also they experienced great and hard disappointments. Opposition even from within the people of God. The professing people of God. That was the Jews. And we may feel small in number today. Think about back in the first century. How small were they? Much smaller than the number of Christians there are today in the world. They seemed much weaker. And in our text... Paul the Apostle is traveling over new areas for the gospel. Places hostile to the gospel. Hostility not just came from the pagan Gentiles though, as we'll see in our text. It came from within. And we think about this, this is shocking. We may get used to seeing, oh, the book of Acts, the Jews were causing difficulty. We may get so used to seeing that, but... This was, at one point, the visible expression of the church. This is what's almost shocking about this. So what can we learn as we look through this text for our labors today? Can we find helpful points to help us in the advance of the kingdom? Yes, God brings about the advance of the kingdom. But we can be laboring in the field. We can be planting the seeds. We can be watering. And yes, of course, God brings the increase but God uses means. Weak, frail, finite means like you and I. Yes, knowing it's all in God's hands. But let us not forget that he does all these things for his honor and for his glory. So the first point we're going to look at it, how is the kingdom advanced? We're going to look at number one by patience. Number one by Patience, verses 1 and 2. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Now, in our feeble, our feeble attempts, they are of course, they're imperfect. Of course, they feel almost exhausted. But like with Paul, as he's going through in his missionary, this is his second missionary journey at this point, it's, there's a consistency to this. He's not just going more than once. Or he's not just going once. He's, it's an ongoing 
effort. And he must be patient with the outcome. The Apostle Paul, he's starting off in Antioch, the north of Jerusalem. And I think it's important we think of how much he has traveled. He has traveled from the north of Syria. He's traveled across places today, which is basically uh, modern day Turkey. And then he makes his way to Macedonia. To Macedonia, to a place called Thessalonica. I know it's not like there's a, there's a country today called Northern, North Macedonia, but it's not the same area. This is like the north half of Greece today. Alexander the Great, for example, came from Macedonia a few hundred years before this. Now, why do I say all this? Now, imagine doing that journey today. Is that an easy journey? Even today, with boats, with, with cars, even flying. That can be pretty tiring. It can take days, weeks, depending on how you travel. It's a lot of traveling. But they didn't have cars and they didn't have boats back then. How difficult would such a journey have been back then? Much harder. Much harder that Paul and his companion Silas have undertaken. Do you think Paul needed to be patient in that day? Have you ever like traveled from city to city? You've stopped off in one place and you're just, you're just tired. And you go to another place and you're tired. This, these journeys were exhausting. And he's going then to a people not the most receptive to the gospel typically. And he goes there three Sabbath days reasoning with them out of the scriptures. Did Paul need to be patient? Yes. And even Paul and all that he faced in Acts chapter 16, he faced prison. Uh, Persecution from his own people, the Jews. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas traveled together in the first missionary journey. And what happened? At the end of Acts chapter 15, they fall out with each other. The Bible doesn't really state who was right and who was wrong, but they, they, there's these disappointments, discouragements in the work, even for Paul. See, we can forget that even Paul went through disappointments. Even Paul went through periods of discouragement. However, did Paul give up? Did he think, oh, I can't deal with these people anymore? Oh, the Jews, no, no more. Go to the Gentiles, it's a bit more fruitful. No. <laughs> Wonderfully, he doesn't. He keeps going. It's an ongoing effort. It's, it's, and this is not easy. This is why this almost has to be said. Being patient with the process and also with his fellow countrymen, the Jews. Now, why did he do so? If he almost said at this point, look, I, uh, we're going to go somewhere a bit more receptive. Where's the more receptive part? But why did he go to the Jews? Well, he went to the Jews out of love. He loved his fellow countrymen. In Romans chapter 9, verse 3, it tells us of that heart that Paul had for the Jews. It says in Romans 9, 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. 
Imagine that. I, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. Why? For my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul wanted them to know Christ so much that he says he would almost wish for himself to be accursed from Christ. Another text we could look at is Romans 10 verse 1. Romans 10 verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So in all the difficulties, all the persecution, all the trials, he knew of their stubbornness. He knew of their hard-heartedness. He knew of the stiff-hearted nature, but he endured. And you can only do that, friends, if you love people. You can't do it if you don't love them. He patiently, lovingly, over and over went there to, to share Christ. Now this, was, this wasn't everything that was done in Thessalonica. We can maybe read this and get the idea that he just spent there three Sabbath days and then just went off on his journey again. That was part of his work. That was part of his work. But even that those three Sabbath days, it wasn't just one Sabbath day and just went away, expecting to see results straight away. He came back repeatedly, time and time again. It may take more than three times. It may take years. It may take decades. But he's taken the time that God has given him and the opportunities that God has given him. And he's followed the pattern that God has given him. The pattern is the Jew first. And then the Greek. Why do I point all this out? Because we really do in our modern era. We click on a button and we get Amazon deliveries so quickly. And we get frustrated when we go, how many stops is it away from my house? Uh, We get get so impatient. We're We're a very impatient generation. In many countries... In many churches, they'll share tracts, the open air with the gospel, and you'll see a sense of excitement for a time. You might see loads of people come out the first time you do evangelism, and then the numbers start falling a little bit. People get a bit discouraged. People give up. And this especially happens with young people, even my own generation, very much so. Now these three Sabbath days, Paul's missionary journey is just a small part of Paul's mission here. There's, it's hinted a lot in First and Second Thessalonians. It's also mentioned as well in Philippians 4.16. There's relationships formed. There's, there's a care and a love that Paul has for the believers there. It takes time and effort to build up these relationships. The fruit sometimes will come earlier This came quite quickly in some ways after three Sabbath days. But whatever the case may be, we must keep going. We must keep going. Now, where do we keep going? Wherever God has given you opportunity. And often the place to labor is right in front of you. We don't always have to go to the other side of the planet. We don't, not all of us are like Paul the Apostle sent off on a missionary journey off to the Gentiles or anybody else. Opportunities are often presented to people right in their doorstep. I remember I was talking to a dear dear Christian lady, and she would have been in her late 80s, early 90s. And she took an opportunity. She She didn't have a lot of mobility. 
But in, that, in the times that she's had conversations, she gave a bit of food to a neighbor, and that neighbor said, why did you do such something so kind? Because my Savior loves me. She explained how she was a Christian, and she wanted to share that love with someone else. Now, she would also think, well, why am I here? I need to, I need to be whisked off to heaven. You know, she almost didn't understand why she was still here. God still had things for her to do. Right there and then. Even her in a situation to keep going. No matter what your stage is in life, God has placed you in a place, maybe in work. Many people are in hostile places of work. It's, it's difficult to share the gospel now. But God will provide you opportunities if you go prayerfully. Will there be hard-hearted people? Well, there was hard-hearted people here for Paul. Difficult people. But we have to do so prayerfully. We have to do so prayerfully. So number one, by patience. Number two now, by principled proclamation. By principled proclamation. Number two, uh, verses two and three. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Now, Paul is advancing the kingdom. What did he bring to them? Did he bring lights? Did he bring smoke machines? Did he bring big bands? Did he... No. He doesn't bring entertainment. He doesn't go around asking the Jews, okay, what would you like? Would you like this at church service? Or would you like something else at a church service? He brings to them not what they're looking for, but what they need. What they need. He reasons with these people. These were God's people on earth, the visible expression of of the church on earth at that time. He comes to them with their religious coldness, not with entertainment, not with new ideas, actually very old ideas. He comes with the oldest ideas possible. He brings them to the scriptures. He brings them to the Old Testament. He brings them to the scripture, he brings them not new ideas, old ideas. Disputing with them out of the word of God. Paul did not come up with some new idea, some new way of reaching people. He came to them with the scriptures and showed them, much in the same, same way Jesus did in others. It's very much against what happened with the false prophets of old. The the false prophets of old, what would they have done? Often when they were following the will of the people, they would prophesy unto them smooth things, deceits, because the people wanted, not the truth, they wanted lies. They wanted things acceptable to them. But what Paul was preaching to them here was not acceptable to them at all. It was teachings doctrine that would show them where they were wrong. And this wasn't all, you know, sometimes when people try to, you know, there's gotcha moments and people want to show, ah, you're wrong, and people get a bit of a pride about that. This is not what Paul was doing at all. He cared for the soul. And when we think about 
Where were the Jews wrong at that point? Now, the Jews were wrong in many things. But they were wrong about Christ. They were wrong about the Messiah. Look at what it says here. Opening and alleging that Christ. Now, let's just stop there for a second. We get so used to that, we just, make it, we, we just think about Christ as if it's like a surname. As if it's Jesus' second name. But this is a very important title. For Jesus to be seen as the Christ, he is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the one prophesied in the Old Testament. He is the mighty king that Israel, Judah, was all expecting. He was the one who would come from the seed of his father, David. So this title is very, very important. And one of the ways that the Jews were wrong they did not like to think of, or they thought it was so strange or abhorrent that their mighty king was going to come and suffer and die. So Paul teaches them, opening alleging that Christ must needs have suffered. This was a, a correction that needed to take place. In... The Gospels, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of these Gospels looks at things a little different. And they'll give a different perspective on Jesus' life and ministry. But the, book of, the Gospel of Mark very much focuses on where the Jews were wrong. Very much focuses on how they were wrong about Christ. And for the first half of the book, so many times over and over... Tell no one. Have you ever noticed that in the Gospels? Why did Jesus, after he had done various things and they could see that this was the Christ, tell no one? Seems like a strange thing to say, doesn't it? But they were wrong about who Christ was. They were looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. Just looking at one example of this, Mark 1.43. Mark 1.43. It says this in Mark 1.43, And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away. And saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man. That's just, that's, it seems maybe strange. In Mark 3 verse 12, Mark 3 verse 12, Another place where this is mentioned, and this is mentioned a lot in the first eight chapters of Mark, Mark 3, verse 12, and he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And what was taking place is Jesus was telling them who Christ was, how he must suffer, and how he must die. And they struggled with this. So much so that even Peter had to be rebuked. He could not wrap his mind around the fact that Jesus came to die. And so much so that Peter himself had to be rebuked. Get thee behind me, Satan. So Paul comes with this corrective doctrine, with this corrective teaching. Proclaims it even. That Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus... This Jesus that they dismiss and say this couldn't be Christ because they're looking for someone who looks different. 
whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Do you see how much that verse is loaded with truth? This Jesus is Christ. She's proclaiming something fundamentally unpopular to the people. The Christ you're looking for, the Christ of Scripture, the one you should be looking for, came to die. He needed to die. Why? Because the nation is sinful. And they struggled with that as well. They thought they could establish their own righteousness. But by principle proclamation, the kingdom advances. And it's not usually going to be popular. So often these truths can only be, are sometimes only preached maybe when they're acceptable. But Paul doesn't do this. We're just going to see later some of them believed, praise God. But this was not an easy situation he was doing. He was sharing the truth. He was sharing principle. And he was proclaiming it. It wasn't just that Paul believed it and kept it to himself. He shared it. He shared it. Number three now. We're going to look at by power. How does the kingdom advance? It, it advances by patience. It advances by principle proclamation. And number three now. By power it advances. Now we've got to be careful as we're going through this. There's always a danger when we go through things like this. You might think, okay, I'm going to do A. Then I'm going to do B. And then I'm going to do C. And we're all good. I, I pray that that does not come across at all. It's not by might nor by power. And in Zechariah 4, 6, it says, Then he say, answered and spake unto them, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's God who makes the difference. We may labor ten times harder than anyone else. And the poorest church down the road sees a massive increase in genuine converts. God is the one who makes the difference. It's his power that makes the difference. And some of them believed, it said. Or even another way of rendering that is, and some of them were persuaded and consorted or joined with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Verse 4. The power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we know from John 15, 26, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. That power, He is God. And the Holy Spirit blesses and changes people. It's not man. There are many people who have wanted to create revivals. And they'll create manuals and they'll say, Just do this and revival will come. You cannot manipulate the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come down in in a time that pleases God, in a way that glorifies God. But we must not think, oh, it's by this. Because the danger we would think is, look at man, he's been so clever. Oh, if he would just do X, Y, and Z, that's all that's needed. And man would get the glory. That's not how it works. It's all for the glory of God. And for anyone to be converted, for anyone to change from death unto life, for anybody to believe the content of the gospel, it's the power of God. If anyone believes, us here in this building, the reason why we're here is because of the power of God. 
Some of them believed, it said, and consorted or joined with Paul and Silas. They joined with them. They were changed. They loved what they heard because the Spirit of God worked in them. They followed the teaching and instruction. More importantly, they followed God's teaching and God's instruction. We may not have apostles today. We, we may look at this and go, hmm, well that's interesting, Paul and Silas. Paul was a, an apostle in a very special sense. He was a, literally a sent one of Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus. But friends, Paul was of like passions or as like weaknesses or like as we are, like frailties. And God also equips the church today with elders, ministers, deacons. He may not have sent the Apostle Paul to us, but he has sent ministers, ruling elders, deacons. And I ask you here this evening do you pray for your session? You pray for your minister. He may not be perfect. We're all far from perfect. But remember the one who has given you that minister, those ruling elders, those deacons, whoever they may be. God has brought them to you. God uses means. And God used the means by the Holy Spirit bringing them into the lives of these people. It's ultimately God who does it. But he uses these means, Paul and Silas, to bring these, these devout Greeks, or literally worshipping Greeks, a great multitude. And some of the, the Jews who believed. And also these chief women, not a few. But let's not forget the means that the power of the Holy Spirit uses. And it even worked among a religious generation. It worked by the power of the Spirit of God among heathens. We see the word Greeks here. They were basically those outside of the church. Those, these were, you could say, unbelievers outside of the church. Now called Greeks because they spoke Greek. Becoming God-fearing and devout. By the Spirit of Almighty God. So, our final point now, number four. By persistent persecution. By persistent persecution. So, the kingdom of God advances by patience. We must be patient. Principle proclamation, we must make the truth known. It's by power. God makes the difference. However, it's not so simple, is it? It's not just... The kingdom advances without difficulty. And I think we can forget about that very, very quickly. Now, you might even think, well, why would anybody object to the advance of the kingdom of God? Why would anybody have a problem with converts getting saved? Why would anyone have a problem with that? Well, in verse 5, it says this, But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, and took unto them certain lewd fellows, 
of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. They were moved with envy, jealousy, and that might to our ears sound so strange. Why would you have a problem with these people coming to know Christ? We can forget we're in the midst of a war. A war that goes back thousands of years to the fall of Adam. And in that war, there's two seeds. Seed of the woman, that is Christ, and the seed of the serpent, who follow after their father, the devil. And it is an ugly war. And they come out. They see the power of God. They see something wonderful take place. And look at what they're saying. Would you look at these troublemakers? Verses 6 and 7. And when they found them, not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying out, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Look at these troublemakers. Look at what they're doing. They're, they're, they're wrecking everything. Things were peaceful until these people came along. And look at what them. They turned the world upside down. Now, Christians thousands of years later go, oh, I wish we could be like that a bit more. We, we, we think about they turned the world upside down. Their accusation read thousands of years later is read as something positive, isn't it? But they did not see it as something good. Look, our lives are pretty good. And... Look what they're doing. They're they're challenging Caesar. They're challenging Caesar. This is treason. Now, did the Jews really want Caesar, this foreign pagan Roman ruler, to rule over them? Not at all. This is what's amazing in what they're saying. For a long time, many Jewish groups, they did not want There was the odd exception here and there. But they did not want Caesar to rule over them. And what are they doing? A desperate attempt to stop the work of God. They see this as ludicrous. You're following Jesus. And so what will they do? They will grasp upon anything. Like rumors, half-truths. Verse 8, and they trouble the people. And the rulers of the city, when they heard these things. So these accusations were spread around. They caused unrest. And we must be careful that we do not receive and spread rumors. Because the devil is very good at using rumors to stir up things. Half-truths. Now... If the kingdom advances, who do you think is going to be the least happy about that? Who's going to be infuriated? The world will be, the unbelieving world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil is not happy. And at the, at the end of these um, uproar, this uproar against, look at what they're doing, these troublemakers, they're, they're ruining everything, verse 9 And when they had taken security of Jason, 
This is one of those ones who was attacked. And of the other, they let them go. It seems like they, they protected them for a while. They looked into some of the things and then eventually they let them go. There was no substance to the accusations. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11 and 12 at the end of the Beatitudes. It says this. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. And persecute you. And shall say all manner of evil against you. Falsely. For my, my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Reviling. Even literally. Shall say all manner of evil against you falsely or literally lying for my sake. And this is what Paul and the others faced. This is what Paul and Silas faced. This is what Jason faced. A number of commentators think that this is the same Jason referred to at the end of Romans chapter 16. The devil's not pleased. And while we're not looking for persecution under every rock, there's a danger too in that. Um, but in the advance of the kingdom, the, that serpent who is wounded more and more, being crushed under the feet of Christ, is going to lash out and seek to inflict as much pain as possible upon the church. People will say, Things against you that are not true. This is just given. Now, this happens to people in the world as well. We live in a world of lies. And it shocks us even more. It's, it's not that we say, oh, well, here are all these people. Out in the world, we expect them to follow the, the devil. We, ex- we don't expect them to follow the truth. But then when you have, look, the Jews. These are religious people. These are people who are... God's people for all intents and purposes, for many ways, for many of these people. And the shock that may have been seen among many, that these are causing such uproar. The opposition to the advance of the kingdom. Yes, it will come from outside of the church, but sometimes it will come from in, within. And when they found them not, this is verse 6, once again, they drew Jason and certain brethren into the, into the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down, Come hither also. It's, and it's not just for a period of time. It's persistent persecution. Now, persecution is not just always physical. We think of prison. We think of other things. But persecution can be reviling. Actually, there's a lot of it spoken about in First Peter. And the people suffered and they weren't ready for it. It's difficult to quantify when people speak things that are not true about you. But when will these things be vindicated? Now, the truth seems to be vindicated in verse 9 with Jason. They let them go. The world to come is when much of what we endure for the sake of Christ will be vindicated. And that is wonderful. And if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, as they were here, 
It may not be as spectacular. It may not include rulers grabbing you and throwing you into prison or anything else like that that happened in the book of Acts at various different times. But there will be suffering and there will be a degree of it. There will be a degree of it. And we must bear that in mind as the kingdom advances. By way of conclusion, it is by God's power that the kingdom advances. Yes, we labor in the field. Yes, we pray. Yes, we believe. Yes, we have confidence. But the farmer keeps planting. The farmer keeps sowing. The farmer keeps watering. The farmer does it expectantly. The farmer that loses hope in the crop will no longer sow. The farmer that loses hope in the expectation of the, the harvest, the great number that will come, that will be far greater than the one saved here. A great multitude out of every tongue and out of every nation and out of every tribe. The farmer that has confidence in those keeps going. He knows he may not live to see the harvest and all the wonderful beauties of it. He may or he may not. But it will come. It will come at the end of the world. And friends, what do we do as we wait, as we expect, not just wait for, we expect it to happen because God has promised it. We do it with expectation. And whether you're a worker at school or wherever God has placed you, take those opportunities. There may be small windows. You may not be able to say very much. But remember the difference is not going to be the words you use. It's going to be the power of God that will advance his kingdom. Amen.